We began last week with a series entitled Experiencing God. And it's experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. And uh, it's taken from a Henry Blackaby study uh, that was out a number of years ago that uh, really has gone around the world and has touched many lives. And it's helped a lot of people to understand what does it mean to have this relationship with God and then to experience Him and at the same time to know and to do His will for what I was, a, was created for. And so uh, there are seven realities of experiencing God that each Sunday we want to deal with one of those realities. And so we want to show you right now uh, the experiencing God realities and just quickly walk you through them and uh, we'll build on this each week. The very first thing you see, the first reality is that God is always at work around you. And we talked about this last week. And we talked about how that God is always working around us. And as he's working around us, what we are to do is to watch for where God is working and then join him where he's working. Our question is not is what is God's will for my life. The question is what is God's will. And once we begin to see what God's will is, then he will invite us to take part in his activity. And that's what his will for our life will be. We need to constantly keep in mind that God is not our servant adjusting his activities to our desires. We are God's servants, and we are to adjust ourselves to his activity. That's why you look to see where is it that God is working, and then I join him there. He is at work all around you. That's the first reality. The second reality is what we will talk about today, and that is that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you, a relationship that is real and one that is personal. And as you build that relationship with him, you then move to the third reality, and that is invitation. God invites you to become involved with him in his work. And once he issues that invitation, then God will speak to you. And God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit through four different ways. Through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and through the church. And when he speaks, he reveals about himself and his purposes and his ways. And once God speaks to you and he's issued this invitation it will always result in a crisis of belief. And it will lead you to a crisis of belief that will take faith and will take action. And once you go through that crisis of belief, you take that next step, that's where the adjustment comes in. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. But once you make those major adjustments, then you come to the last reality. And that is that you come to know God by experience as you obey him and then he accomplishes his work through you. Experiencing God, the seven realities. Last week, as we said, we looked at that first reality that God is always at work around you. The second reality we'll talk about today is that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and is personal. Now, if you've got your uh, sheets of paper and notes, I'm going to give you a lot of things to write down, And uh, but it's good. You take those, you read through them, and we're going to walk through this entire series, and when it's all over, you'll go, hallelujah, okay? You'll be ready for it. The first thing that I want you to see in God's pursuing this love relationship with you is that God created humanity for a love relationship with him. 
God created humanity for a love relationship with them. More than anything else, what God desires is to have a love relationship with you whom he created. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 5 says this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You are to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might. This is where Christianity separates itself from every other belief system. Christianity is based on a relationship and not based on a bunch of do's and don'ts. All religion is based on doing. Christianity is based on done. Everything's been done. Christ died on the cross for our sins, raised from the dead, gives us that opportunity to have forgiveness of our sins. It's been done. Religion is just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Do this, do that, go through this list, go through that list. But Christianity is a relationship. It is a relationship between our creator God and his creation. That is you and that is me. And God desires for you to have a relationship with Jehovah God, the one who created you, the one who knit you together in his mother's womb, the one who is the author of your salvation, the one who has given you the breath that you breathe and that one day when you die, he will be the one that will take you in death. This is the God that wants to have a relationship with you. So you just need to be reminded today that God loves you, okay? And he created you for this relationship. And because of that, every encounter that God has with you is an expression of his love for you. And this is a powerful statement. You need to write this down and then think through it for a little bit. Every encounter that God has with you is an expression of his love for you. And so when you begin to walk through life and things begin to happen and, and God is, is dealing with you, you understand this is happening because it is perfect love. And if this was not true, then God would not be God because God is perfect love. And so every encounter God has with you is an expression of his love for you. Your love relationship with God is probably the most important factor in knowing and doing the will of God. And if you do not have a proper love relationship with God, then you will never know what his will is for your life. So we need to start right here to know that God has initiated this. He's pursuing this. And this is something we all want to get right. Here's the second point. God always takes the initiative in this love relationship. God always takes the initiative in this love relationship. All throughout Scripture, you see where God takes the initiative. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. God came to them in the garden to have fellowship with them. Noah, God came to Noah and told him about what he was getting ready to do. Abram, God came to Abram and said, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And Moses, God came to Moses and he initiated this love relationship with him. The video that you saw is, is like a modern day reenactment of, of, of Moses and, and how he came to that burning bush. And if you have your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, in Exodus chapter 3, it'll be the, the verses that were shared right there in that video. And keep that in your mind, kind of keep that blazed and blazoned in your mind as Moses is just, I mean, he's just doing a day's work on the backside of the desert as a shepherd. And all of a sudden, God shows up in something that is ordinary, but yet something extraordinary takes place. 
And it says in, in, in uh, verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. What God did was he initiated this relationship with Moses. And he came to him and he told him who he was and he began to start this relationship with him. And this was a relationship that from the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it continued on. And God was like a friend to Moses. And he, he called him up to Mount Sinai. And for 40 days, he was there with him as he gave him the Ten Commandments. And then as Moses went back up there at a later time to intercede for the children of Israel, he was there speaking to God, interceding with him. And God began to show him even the backside of his glory. And then there was a time when, when there was a lot of uh, dissension among the ranks. And people questioned, why should we listen to Moses? And then God came and he spoke and he said, let me tell you why you need to listen to Moses. The reason you need to listen to Moses is as Moses is unlike any other person. Because when I talk to Moses, we talk face to face. And I speak very clearly and not in riddles. I don't count on visions and dreams. We're face to face. There's an amazing relationship that God had with Moses. But the key to this is that God took the initiative in this love relationship. Jesus took the initiative in his relationship when he chose the 12 disciples. God took the initiative with Saul as he's walking down the road in Damascus to persecute Christians. And he appeared to him and initiated that love relationship. God initiates a relationship of love to you and he's already demonstrated his love to you. Because of what Christ has done on the cross. And if you just look and see about, about God taking his own son and having his own son die on the cross as a demonstration of his love for you, providing you hope and eternal life, he has already initiated this relationship. And he's waiting on you and me for us to respond. And when we respond, when that happens, his Holy Spirit comes in, we have eternal life, and God gives us the strength to overcome any temptations that may come our way. And it's just amazing all that can happen. He initiates this love relationship. And so that's the first two things. Let me tell you the third. The third point of this about God pursuing us in this love relationship is that no matter what your circumstances are, God's love never changes. God's love never changes. The cross, the empty tomb, are God's final expression, his total and complete expression of his love for us. How could he show you any more how much he loves you than for his own son to die on the cross for our sins? And that love never changes. God's love never changes. You ever, if any of you have parented, you've had those exciting times when your children want to do one thing and you have to tell them that they can't do that. 
And I know with Lauren that, that as, as she's going through and, and growing through life and, and when she was young and she said, I want to go do this. And we say, no, you can't do that. She would come back with that great statement that hopefully every parent has heard. And that is, you don't love me. Anybody, a parent ever heard that before? You don't love me? Yeah. 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 You've heard that. You hitting your kid already saying, yeah, I've heard it. Yeah. And they just told that you don't love me. Is that true? No. My love never changed for her. My liking changed a little bit at times. Uh, sometimes we don't like our kids as much, but our love never changes. No, we never changed our love. It's just that my love was expressed differently than what you were hoping it would be. And so just as a parent and a child can understand that, we need to understand that in our relationship with God. There are things that come into our life that we look to God and we say, you just don't love me anymore. You just don't love me. No, that's not true. God's love never changes. But what God is doing is he's expressing his love differently than what you are thinking it should be. He is on record for his love. And that's one of the things that we all need to just nail down. That whatever difficulties happen in our life, it is no problem for us to question God, the whys of it, and talk to him and dialogue with him on that. But never in that dialogue should you ever come back and say, well, God, it's just evident you don't love me. That is just untrue. God's love never changes. And so no matter what situation comes, always look at the backdrop of the cross. God has set the record straight that he loves you. And so we don't need to ever question his love. Let me tell you the fourth thing I'd like for you to write down. And that is that because of love, there is no depth to which you can go that the grace of God will not go further still. Okay? It's a long statement, but it's really well written. Okay? Because of love, this is because of God's love, there is no depth to which you can go. That no matter how low you get, no matter how much involved in sin you get, that the grace of God will not go further still. You can run far from God, and as you're running far from God, you can come to a point to where you say, I am so far from him and so low that I don't think there's any hope for me. However, God's grace can go even lower to pick you up and to give you hope. That's why every person that's here today, no matter what it is you brought with you when you came into this worship center, no matter, no matter what is holding over your head, no matter what sins there are that seems like they've got a gridlock on your life, there is no sin that has such a gridlock on your life that the grace of God cannot go even further and to give you strength and victory over that particular sin. Remember, his love never changes. Since his love never changes, his grace is stronger than anything that you have. And through his power and through the power of God's word, you can overcome whatever it is that you've got. He's God. He has the power to do that. And so, when this service ends today, for some of you, as you're walking out these doors... This may be the point that you circle. Because you may have gotten to the point to where you said, I'm at the point of no return. No, there is no point of no return. Through the grace of God, there's always hope. And he gives you that strength to do this. Let me tell you the fifth point I'd like for you to write down. And that is your love for God 
and your obedience to his commands go hand in hand. Your love for God and obedience to his commands, they go hand in hand. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you keep my commandments. All right. Now go back to that, that point that you had, David, your love for God, your obedience to his commands, they go hand in hand. As I love God, I'll be obedient to him and I'll do the things that he tells me to do. When you obey Jesus, you demonstrate your trust in him and your obedience is your outward expression of love to God. Now, here's a statement I want you to write down. If you have an obedience problem, that means you have a love problem. If you have an obedience problem, it means you have a love problem. Now, we don't want to hear that. We'd love to tell people, hey, I love God as much as the next person. It's just that I just don't want to be doing these, these things. No. If we truly love him, as it said in, in Deuteronomy 6, <clears throat> love the Lord with, with, with all your heart and all your might and all your soul. And then in Mark it says all your strength. If you love him with all of this, then we would be obedient to him. And if you've got an obedience problem, that means you've got a love problem. And it means if I'm not going to be obedient to the things that he says in God's word, in essence, it means that I really don't love God as much as it says that I should love him. You remember Thomas? Uh, the uh, disciples uh, were all kind of scared after the, um, after the crucifixion. And then all of a sudden word came that, that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they were all together in this upper room. And they were all there except for Thomas. He missed that worship service. And then all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And Jesus shows up in the midst of them. And they're just blown away and they, and they have a meal with him and they talk and everything. And then as soon as it ends, the next day they're running around and they're, they're finding Thomas. And they said, it's incredible. Jesus was here last night. And he says, no, nah, no way. He said, yeah, well, yeah, he was there. No, I don't believe it. And then he said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and put my hand in the side where the sword went through, he says, the spear went through, he says, I won't believe it. I said, really? He says, yeah. Well, you shouldn't have missed church. I'll tell you, he was here. So the next Sunday, he shows up for church. It was his once out of four weeks he was going to be there. And so he, so, he, so he showed up. And so when he shows up, all of a sudden, Jesus appears. And when Jesus appeared and he looked at Thomas, he walks up to him, shows him his nail prints, and says, hey, you want to put your hand to my side? And in essence, what Jesus was saying to him, if my love is not adequate, I have nothing else to compel you. If my love is not adequate, I have nothing else to compel you. Believe me. And you know what his response was? He fell down. He says, my Lord and my God. He realized that this truly was Jesus. He realized he was the son of God and that he had died on the cross for our sins and he had risen from the dead. And when he realized that and the love that God had for him, it completely changed him. If you followed his life through history, he then went to India. And as he went to India, he began to be an evangelist, began to lead people to Christ, and he died a martyr's death. And he never turned back. I look at that statement and I say, that's the same thing that, that Jesus says to us. If my love is not adequate, then I have nothing else to compel you. You see, I cannot come to you as your pastor and give you some guilt trip. 
And, uh, and a lot of people say, oh, God's going to come to church. Pastor's going to step all over my feet and, and everything and try to get you a hammer you into a guilt trip to do this, to do that. I, I really like the way that Jesus does it. And that is, hey, if my love's not adequate, then I don't know what it'll take to compel you. For us to be obedient to God and to follow him, the motivation that we need is just the fact of his love and what he's, and what he's done for us. And so Jesus says we're to love God with all of our heart. And that means everything depends on this. Everything in your Christian life, everything about knowing him, experiencing him, everything about knowing his will depends on the quality of your love relationship with God. Everything depends on the quality of your love relationship with God. The deeper your love relationship is with him, the more you'll be able to experience God and then the more you will know and do his will. Again, you have to keep this in mind. We cannot just get a checkbox to say, okay, this is how you get to know God's will. Do these four or five things and then leave God off to the side and just call him in when we need some help on there. It all begins with our love relationship with him. And he is the one that's pursuing it. He's the one that's initiating it. And he's pursuing it with you today and with me. And he says, just love me as I've loved you. And when that happens, you will begin to experience God and you will eat, definitely know and do his will. You know, I read a statement that really hit me home, and it, and it really hit home to me, and it says, some people, when you talk about God, you can say, oh, yeah, I obey him. I serve him. Uh, I worship him. I fear him. But yet we don't ever hear, do you have a heartfelt, genuine love for him? And there's a difference. There's a difference from just serving him, obeying him, fearing him, worshiping him. All of these things are good. But really, the, the base denominator here needs to be, I love him. I love God. And I love him because of what he's done for my life. And when you get that love relationship right, then worshiping him is a natural byproduct. Serving him, natural byproduct. Fearing him, natural byproduct. All of this starts out with loving him on there. Okay? The last one is this. The relationship God wants to have with you will be real and personal, and we're going to add another word, practical. The relationship God wants to have with you will be real and personal and practical. God wants to have a real relationship with you, okay? He wants it to be personal, but it's practical. God is a very practical God. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they understood their nakedness. They saw their sin. What did God do? He went, killed an animal clothed them. He provided for them. When the children of Israel, when they began to do this uh, march through the wilderness, what did God do? Every day he provided them manna. Then every so often he provided them quail. Then he provided some water from a rock. So he was practical. He was providing for them. When God appeared to Solomon, he says, Solomon, what do you want? Solomon says, I would love to have wisdom. What did God do? He gave him that gift. Practically, he gave him the gift of wisdom. When Jesus took his disciples early in their ministry and he got ready to send them out, he says, I'll give you authority over the demons. 
and I'll give you authority to heal diseases and to cast out demons. Guess what? They went out there and they encountered those things and they had the power to overcome them. When Jesus was teaching and it got late and as a preacher, he went overtime and there are all these people, over 5,000 people and they were getting hungry. What did he do? He fed them. He's a very practical God. He provided the loaves and fishes. When Peter was stuck there in jail and, and was wanting to figure out how he could get out, an angel came to him and unleashed him and let him get out. Very practical. We have a practical God. And so he desires to have a relationship with you that's going to be real, that's going to be personal. At the same time, it will be practical. Now, the interesting thing is the constant presence of God is the most practical thing in all of your life. He is always at work around you. He has a constant presence. It's not like you've got to conjure up God. He has a constant presence in your life. But unfortunately, we assign him to this little segment over here of our life. I've got my work life, I've got our dating life, or I've got the married life, I've got my uh, entertainment life, and then I've got, oh, you got the God life. Okay, he's kind of over here. That's not it. He, he's a part of everything. He's practical. He is a practical God. And when we try to put him aside, it's completely opposite what we find in Scripture. The first reality, God is always at work around you. Look for where he is and join him. The second one is that God pursues this love relationship with you. He desires there to be a real relationship between you and God. Last week I talked about a God-centered life being properly related to God. This is the love relationship for which you were created. And your relationship to God is the single most important aspect of your life. And if it is not right, nothing else is important. You've got to get that right, that love relationship with God. Now, you've heard it. Practically, what do you do? I want to give you some things just for you to walk out on. They're very easy. Are you ready? You've got to write these down. Give you some handles to help you to start as we go out these doors to build that relationship with God. Number one is to differ your perspective about God. Differ your perspective about God. Say, what does that mean? Oh, you ready for this? Okay. I read this statement. It was a statement by Henry Blackaby. I had to read it over a couple different times, and then it, and it really hit me. Are you ready? Many times we talk about that, okay, first thing I need to do, I need to get a quiet time. Okay, I got to do a quiet time on that. Listen to this, this statement here. Watch this statement. You keep a quiet time alone with God, not in order to have a relationship, but because you have a relationship and you want to meet with him and spend time with him. You stay with me. You stay focused. Think about this again. Why do you have a quiet time? A lot of times I always say, oh, we got to have a quiet time with God so I can build this relationship with him. Or, uh, and, 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 and that'll just help me to, to get this relationship. No, you do it because you have a relationship. And you want to meet with him and you want to spend time with him. Now, I take this same thing and to make it clear, I can put Janice in here, okay? Uh, Janice is not God, okay? Just want to let y'all know we're not saying that. But... Why do you want to spend time with Janice? Why would I want to spend time with Janice? In order to have a relationship with her? No. The reason I want to spend time with Janice is because I have a relationship with her. 
And because I married her and I love her, I enjoy spending time with her and I want to do this. And so I want to meet with her and I want to spend time with her because we have a relationship. It is not in order to have a relationship. I'm already there. And for you who've received Christ as Savior, you have this relationship with God. It's already there. And so your desire to have this quiet time alone with God is because you do have that relationship. It's not like I've got to conjure up 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes over here just so it makes it look like I'm trying to build a relationship. It's because you do have that relationship. And when you get up or, or get ready to go to bed, whichever time you choose, you say, man, I want to spend some time with him. Does that make sense? You differ your perspective on there. Don't look at this as just a to-do list. Look at it as something that you enjoy and you, you uh, just can't wait to engage this time with God because you have this relationship. So differ your perspective about God. Number two is declutter your life. Declutter your life. How much stuff have you got in your life? Declutter it. Janice and I um, have lived here in the same house for 17 and a half years. This is the most we've ever lived in one house. Uh, we would live in, uh, Ruston was the longest. It was eight and a half years in one house. 17 and a half years. 17 and a half years in the same house, you began to get a lot of what? Everything from stuff to junk. Thank you all. Uh, you see my house. What do you mean over here? You just accumulate stuff. And throughout our marriage, there'll be a time when Janice says, hey, I think it's time to declutter. And it's amazing. She'll say that. And I'm over here and I go, no, no, we can't get rid of that. No, no, I can't get rid of that. And then time will pass and I'll come to her and I'll say, hey, I think it's time to declutter. They need to get rid of something. She goes, no, no, can't get rid of that. Can't get rid of that. Well, the perfect storm happened about a month ago. And we looked at each other, and she says, you know, I'm kind of ready to declutter. I said, man, I'm ready to simplify and downsize. I'm like, really? Yeah, you, you do? Let's get after it. So we began to attack room by room. And it was hard at first. Mm, can you get rid of that? Mm, I don't know. Can I put it in the pile over here? Over there? Have you ever gone through that process? Oh, it's tough at first. I tell you what, after about three weeks, doesn't move, get it out of there. Get it out of there. Hey, even the dog walked by and stuck a $10 tag on its head. Hey, take that one. He's out of here. So, you know, and, and you build it all and you have your garage sale, which that's the story in itself, uh, just having a garage sale. But the great thing is, is your, your, your garage has now become this museum of stuff. I would say junk, but some of you bought it. So I say of stuff of it. Incredible stuff that anybody else would love to have, but we just didn't have enough room. Okay, so uh, so you begin to declutter it, and you go through and you identify this stuff that you thought you needed. Then you say, "I don't need it." And you know the greatest thing about that? We walk through our house now, and we kind of say, "Hey, I kind of like this. This is nice." It's like there's more light coming in or we got more room to move around. And, and, and when you walk into a room, everything looks nice and neat. It's not the clutter of, of, of just stuff. It was great stuff, but you're just getting all cluttered. You know, and for us to be able to have this relationship with God, you need to declutter your life. There's a lot of stuff that we do that keeps us from spending that time with him. And it's stuff that we think we have to do, but we really don't need, don't have to do that. 
So take an inventory. Do some declutter. Look at your calendar. Look at your schedule. You say, well, I just don't really have any time to spend with God. Declutter your life. Take some things away. And I'll guarantee, if you did like about a 30-day trial, kind of a taste and see thing, and say, well, I'm not going to be doing this anymore, this anymore, and I'm going to take this time and spend with him, you'd be amazed at the end of 30 days how you really won't miss that. All right? Declutter your life. The third thing I'd like for you to do over here, and that is for you to discontinue your empty calorie pursuits. You say, oh, man, now you're going talking about weight. No, listen to me over here. Discontinue empty calorie pursuits. You know what empty calories are? Empty calories are foods or drinks that we digest in our system that all they do is provide calories, but they don't provide any nutrients, any vitamins, or any minerals. They may taste good for a while, but in the long run, they just don't satisfy. And if you're trying to maintain weight from a physical standpoint, empty calories are a killer. Because they don't do you any good, and all they do is just add to the weight that you were trying to lose. They're empty calories. Discontinue your empty calorie pursuits. What are the things in your life that you could look at and say, these are empty calorie pursuits? These are things that, that I am uh, I'm pursuing after that really have nothing to do with the value of my life or for eternity. And sometimes you just need to push yourself away from the table and go pursue the things of God. So when you're putting together your calendar, you're beginning to think, if I'm going this direction, that direction, whatever, stop and ask yourself, are these empty calories? Is this going to help me in my relationship with God, in my relationship with others? If not, it could be an empty calorie pursuit, and I just discontinue it. And the very last thing is this, draw near to God, and he promises that he will draw near to you. He says it in James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You know, in this service, I want us to take a few moments and draw near to God. This is what he's called us to do. He is pursuing a love relationship with every one of you. And as he pursues this love relationship with us, he's asking us to draw near to him. And if we draw near to him, he's going to draw near to you. I want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to walk you through this, this moment of prayer. For each one of you, I want you to put everything else out of your mind. I want you to focus in on a love relationship with God. If you focus in thinking about where you stand in your relationship with him. And for many of you, if you're honest, it's not a real strong relationship. You could resonate with the serve him fear him, worship him, but to love him, it just wasn't there. In these moments as his spirit is moving, 
and his spirit is speaking to you. Tell him how much you love him. Think of the cross. Think of what he's done for you. Be reassured that no matter how far away you've stepped away from him, that he is still there pulling you back to him. And that his grace can go further. Let your mind begin to think about your own house. Not physical house, but just within your own body. The things that take all your time, all the clutter that is there. The sins that you hold on to. The things that you just feel you have to have, but yet what they do is they're really sucking the life out of you and taking away any relationship with God. Identify those things with Him right now. And tell Him that you want to move those things out and provide that space for Him. Ask the Lord to show you through this next week what the empty calories of your life are. And if you began to pursue those that you would push back from the table and go other directions. Tell God that you love him. And thank him that he is pursuing this relationship with you. And as you think about your next steps, think about the fact that you would rather have Jesus than anything else. That there is no other things here on this earth that give you a greater satisfaction than just having Jesus himself, having that relationship with the Son of God. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.